Hello and welcome to Solutions. This is the third episode of our third series of podcasts for solution-focused hypnotherapists and I'm Cathy Healand. And I'm Trevor Eddles and we're both experienced solution-focused hypnotherapists. Today we're looking at the brain, neuroscience and the initial consultation. Okay, so let's start with some basic information about the brain. It weighs around three pounds and comprises neurons, and they're estimated to be about 128 million of them. Glial cells, again, estimated to be around 69 million, and cerebrospinal fluid. And these neurons can transmit messages or impulses at the speeds of up to 120 meters per second. And yet neurons don't actually touch each other. The gaps between neurons are called synapses, and neurotransmitters, these small amounts of chemicals, carry the message across the gap between neurons. The sending neuron releases the neurotransmitter, this chemical, which passes across the gap, and receptors on the next neuron pick up the neurotransmitter and pass on the signal. Just like that. Neurotransmitters don't simply pass on signals. Some are excitatory, which means they create new signals or amplify existing signals, like turning up the volume. Other transmitters are inhibitory, which means that they reduce the activity in the neuron, like turning down the volume. They can cut off or cancel a signal. And importantly, of course, we know the brain can't tell the difference between imagination and reality. Yeah, so Plato, over 2,000 years ago, described emotion and reason as two horses pulling us in opposite directions. That was his metaphor for the two parts of the brain that we often call the primitive emotional brain and the intellectual brain. Although, of course, the emotional brain is no more primitive than the intellectual brain. Both can be found in reptile brains. They are just different in size. Yeah, the intellectual brain is divided into the left and right sides. The right side has motor access to the emotional brain and is specialised more in avoidance and negative emotions. The left side is oriented more towards approach, positive goals and emotions. It has access to the vast intellectual and physical resource. Therefore, by asking clients the what's been good question, we get them in their left prefrontal cortex before jumping on the couch. And we might even use a garden metaphor. We're helping the clients to see the flowers, i.e. the positives, and not the weeds, the negatives. So why does it take time for clients to make the changes they want? There are so many neurons and synapses. It takes time for the appropriate changes to happen and start the ball rolling in terms of taking the small steps towards the required change. And metaphors you might use to explain this are small pebbles being kicked near the top of the mountain, which can lead to an avalanche below, or 75 to 85% of the fuel in a rocket is used simply to get it off the ground. So it's very rarely a quick fix. And when people aren't working on a problem, the brain is still working. 
1953, Louis Sokoloff was trying to find out how much energy the brain consumes during vigorous thought. He expected his volunteers' brains to guzzle more oxygen as they crunched the problems. But what he saw surprised him. His subjects' brains consumed no more oxygen while doing an arithmetic exam than they did while they were resting with their eyes closed. So even while your clients are relaxing, their brains are still coming up with solutions. Yeah, you're right. And Rachel and Shulman published a paper in 2001 suggesting that they had stumbled upon a previously unrecognized default mode, a sort of internal game of patience that the brain turns to when unoccupied and sets aside when called on to do something else. Yeah, in 2015, Rachel published an overview of his research saying that the default mode network, or DMN, has a clear function, often focused on the person's own needs, opportunities and threats about what they think are complex and imminent forthcoming events. And if you think of the default mode network as the holodeck in Star Trek, a 3D simulator, then the answers clients give to the miracle question acts as the program for the holodeck. Yeah, interesting. Yes, Sylvester et al. have demonstrated that in adults with anxiety, it seems that the DMN operates differently. In anxious people, the DMN does not activate fully suggesting that the person is perhaps left disadvantaged and unable to play out the options available to them, make sense of the options, and choose an outcome that does not activate the fight-or-flight response. Yeah, that's interesting. And lots of people use the John Ratey metaphor in a user's guide to the brain, which I must admit is a little old-fashioned. The prefrontal cortex is the chief executive, the anterior cingulate is the secretary, and the amygdala heads up the health and safety division, or maybe the fire officer. Yeah, in the metaphor, if you're organising some kind of event, the more detailed the brief, the easier it is for the secretary to achieve the task. So when people are struggling with the miracle question, when the secretary is clear about what's required, their desired outcome is more likely to happen. Yeah, good. Executive function is the name given to what happens in the prefrontal cortex. One of its jobs is to stop the emotional brain making you do whatever it wants. For example, it reminds you of your desire to eat healthily when the primitive brain has just seen donuts on the table and you're starting to reach for one. I can see one now. The brainstem, that area between the spinal cord and the rest of the brain, has a number of functions. One of them is the location of the reticular activating system. Did you know that serotonin in the brain is almost exclusively produced in neurons originating in the Rafe nuclei located in the midline of the brainstem? Uh, yes, I did. But anyway, to get back on topic, Trevor, uh, back to the reticular activating system or ROUSE, as some people call it, which is responsible for filtering all the information being presented to us every day. Sometimes the ROUSE may have faulty settings, so it filters out the good things and focuses on the negative. 
people change their filters all the time. For example, when you get a new car, you notice how many similar ones are on the road. Or you buy that new pair of boots and suddenly you see so many other people wearing similar ones. And it's because you've reset your filter. Asking what's been good each time, we see a client help to reset their filter in a positive way. Mm, Nice. In 2007, ladies undertaking a lumpectomy were given a 15-minute pre-surgery hypnosis session conducted by a psychologist. The study found that during surgery, the hypnotized women required 22% less analgesia and 34% less sedation. After surgery, they reported 53% less pain intensity, 74% less nausea, 46% less fatigue, 47% less discomfort, and 74% less emotional upset. They also spent 11 fewer minutes in surgery, resulting in a cost saving of almost $800 per patient. That shows the power of guided imagery. Mm, Wow. Um, And let's have a look at mirror neurons. Uh, Rizzolatti, an Italian neurophysiologist and professor at the University of Parma in Italy, discovered the existence of mirror neurons in the late 1980s. A mirror neuron is a neuron that fires both when a client or animal acts and when the client or animal observes the same action being performed by another. The neuron mirrors the behaviour of the other, as though the observer were itself acting. Mirror neurons have been associated with feelings of empathy and in learning by watching others. Think of it as like an empathic resonance where two people interact face to face and contagion spreads via the neural circuits. It's a functional link, a feedback mechanism that crosses the skin-skull barrier. In system terms, it's a coupling. The output becomes the input, and as the first changes, so does the second. Happiness is infectious. So bear this in mind when we see our clients and the effect clients will have on their families and friends. Okay, uh, moving on. The brain is constantly changing. Neuroplasticity is the name given to it. New neurons move round the brain and new connections are made. So think of the brain like Play-Doh rather than porcelain. Hebb's law is that neurons that fire together wire together, reinforcing the connections. A metaphor you might use to explain what happens to clients might be sledging down a snowy hillside where some paths become more clearly visible than others. Yeah, that's a favourite of mine. And so visualising things being different in the answer to the miracle question helps rearrange neurons in the brain and makes the person behave in this new way when in that particular situation. Yeah, most people don't like change because their amygdala treats change as threatening. That's why it's important for clients to rehearse in their mind what things would be like in the changed circumstances. Once people get used to behaving in a particular way, the behaviour becomes a habit, and habits are stored in basal ganglia, 
which are small groups of cells spread around the brain. And habits use much less energy than actually having to make choices every time. Yeah. And it's important to recognise that the brain is a prediction machine. It guesses what will happen in a given situation and acts accordingly before anything has happened. Most people think that the brain simply reacts to situations, but it has usually started responding before any input is received. So, if you expect someone to be boring or unkind or whatever, you will act as if you were responding to their action before they have said or done anything. One of the things we can do with clients is help them to visualise and predict successful outcomes in situations. Expecting success or happiness can be a great motivating factor with people needing to get something done. Yeah. And one issue you may have come across is that many people seem to be emotionally illiterate. They might say that they are either good or fed up, whereas there are a huge number of emotions that people can feel. They just don't seem to. If Ford and Gross in 2018 discussed whether people need to understand their emotions and whether believing that emotions could change would influence the outcome of therapy. Okay, so if someone believes they can identify a bad emotion, the researchers believe it provides the groundwork for wanting to decrease that emotion. If someone believes that they can identify a good emotion, they can easily be convinced that they can increase that emotion. And some people might believe an emotion is neutral. The emotions come and go of its own accord. And this person is unlikely to want to change their emotions because they lack drive and will carry on living with it. Yeah. So the theory of emotional regulation supports the notion that informing clients how anxiety is created and what they can do about it is an important part of the process of change. Okay, moving on again, we've got Massey Campo and Baumeister, and they found that having an unfinished goal causes intrusive thoughts that cause problems with tasks and logical thinking. Using our stress bucket analogy, this is filling up the stress bucket which causes us to move from the intellectual mind into the emotional mind. However, taking time to make plans to achieve the goal mediated that negative effect. The unfulfilled goals no longer fill the stress bucket when plans exist to address them. Those who acted on their plans and made attempts to fulfill their goals found that they had a clearer head and were no longer bothered by intrusive thoughts. Interestingly, the very act of planning appeared not only to suspend the mind's drive to achieve the goal, reducing vigilance and intrusive thoughts, but freed up the mind for other uses. Interesting. And that's why the miracle question helps. It reduces anxiety. It allows the client to make plans to achieve these unfulfilled goals however small and this enables them to get on with the rest of the day in comfort without those intrusive thoughts taking up valuable time and space yes well i hope that has helped you understand why we say some of the things we do during the initial consultation 
And next time we'll be looking at the vagus nerve, what it does and why hypnotherapists need to know about it. And we'll be coming back to the brain again soon. So until then, it's a goodbye from me, Cathy Eland. And it's goodbye from me, Trevor Eddles. We'll see you next time. Bye. Okay, bye.